Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Can we talk something else? Can can we talk about something else? serial killer story from the old Soviet Union never fails to feel familiar. It's cold, dreary, there's a man in the woods doing something terrible over and over again, aided by the KGB's unwillingness to share information with the public for fear of losing face. Five to 168 plus victims later, the killer is no longer human. He's bedraggled and exposed, the beast from within left too long in the open, unable to fully return upon its master's weakening call. And when it finally ends, he admits to everything, curling up into the lap of the law like the dog he is, relieved for it to be over, eager to be contained and have his gaudy, gluttonous, free will stripped, starved, He's then studied like a new species, depicted as a supernatural absurdity by the press, then placed in a display cage and judged in what looks to be a soup kitchen, a soup hall, before being shot in the back of the head one morning in the basement of a prison. And that's that. And this is that too. Welcome to Dark Topic, I'm your host, Jack Luna. This is a tier 13 exclusive. Another Soviet serial killer story. The year is 1961. The place is unpronounceable. And the Soviet killer we're here to see is just 23 years old. He's not truly a killer yet, at least from what we know. I've heard and read a few stories of his childhood and teenage years, but I realized too late that they're not his. They are Andre Chikatilo's. 
the infamous Red Ripper who won't become active until this case is almost through. It's a little distressing to research a killer and find that a more documented killer's past is being copied and pasted by half-assed journalists and podcasters into this empty space, but whatever. Nobody really gives a shit about another Soviet serial killer story anyways. It all allegedly begins to go downhill for early 20s Anatoly Slivko as he's minding his own business on a busy street corner when a drunk driver comes flying over the curb to annihilate a young man in a Boy Scout uniform. Well, it's a young pioneer's uniform, the Soviet equivalent. Anatoly had been checking the 13-year-old out before he'd morphed into a broken pile of meat. He'd been jingling around in his pocket as the perfect young man's life was a race before his very eyes. He'd been perfect, like a porcelain figurine. Anatoly knows he should be mortified, but everything about the scene is exhilarating. The boy lays gasping like a fish out of water, limbs and torso wrenched into something that resembles a swastika. The air is thick with the smells of fuel, smoke, burning flesh, and now, as the boy's chest hitches, then deflates, the smells become one. The smells become death. People are screaming, sirens are wailing, but the boy in the uniform and the man, Anatoly Slivko, are silent. They are staring into each other's eyes. Anatoly, who swears he doesn't know that he's a homosexual before this moment, is stroking himself. But nobody sees. Nobody but the dead boy. And this is the moment he will chase forever to recapture the intensity of this magic moment where Anatoly Slivko ejaculated like a broken fire hydrant in his slacks while masturbating in a crowd over a dying, then dead, 13-year-old boy. And I'll get shit for saying this man's a homosexual. He's a sicko. He's a pervert. He's a pedophile. Yeah, but he, he's also, like, he, he just realized that he's gay, too. We don't all get so lucky. We don't all understand our life's meaning, our life's calling immediately when it sounds. But Anatoly, though he'd get married and do the sex thing necessary to have children, knew on that street corner that he was into young boys. Specifically young boys in cute little wood scout uniforms that were on fire. So he started his own kids club, a young pioneers troupe. He created a club, a stable for boys that matched his exact fantasy and waited for the perfect victim to reveal themselves. It wasn't until 1964, when Anatoly was in his mid-twenties, that he found himself finally masturbating over a dead boy again. He put in the work, he'd planned, he'd been patient. He'd developed a perfect trap for the quarry he so desired. And it was a lot of work. In the community, Anatoly Slivko was known not only as a leader of young men, as a selfless entrepreneur, but as an amateur film director, specializing in recreations of World War II atrocities involving Soviet and Nazi troops. He was something of a local celebrity, in fact, and all of the young pioneers in his club looked up to him as a result, looked up to him and wanted badly to be in one of his movies. And this is how his first, the homeless boy, I've read his name to be Sasha, also Nikolai, um, he was 14 or 15. Information varies in these Soviet stories, but this is how he died. By accident, according to Slivko. 
On occasion, Anatoly would select a boy, almost always a short, softer kid, reminiscent of his dark fantasies genesis, but not necessarily meant to replace the boy in the street corner. He'd pick a boy, take him into the woods to film a scene, to do some experiments, and uh, request that the boy not eat that day, just to kind of get into character. The scene was always the same. It was the part where the Nazis strung up a young boy. There were a handful of experiments, like I mentioned, done before he killed this one. He sometimes just called them experiments. The hangings. Advertising them to his victims not only as necessary for the film, but as a trendy new health and fitness exercise. Taking photos of everything. Filming it all. You can watch some if you like. They are in the show notes. And how that kind of thing could get anyone riled up sexually is beyond me. I've been doing this for long enough that I can finally watch when there's video. These days, I could go so far as to search my mind to find any area where arousal may be warming up. I go I go on my head like that, just checking, see if there's any like pedophile in me. And uh, thankfully, I'm pretty far from being turned on. Uh, pretty limp, pretty smooth-brained while watching pedophilic snuff, it turns out. I think they're called hebophiles, actually, or hebephiles, between the ages of 10 and uh, 14. I'm proud of that fact that I didn't get boners watching um, pedophilic snuff. Ladies, get yourself a smooth brain man who stays limp while watching teen boy snuff. Anyways, back to the Soviet woods. Back to gray skies, forever winter, dead trees. Even in the summertime, it looks like an atomic blast just went off, and that's why it's so warm. Let's get back to this. Usually what would happen wasn't anything Anatoly couldn't later talk his way out of. He'd begin grooming a boy, sometimes for months, even years. Then one day, casually ask him after scouts if he'd like to be the subject for a scene in his film. He'd explain to the beaming boy that it would include having a noose put over his head, then tightened about his neck before slowly being lowered off a stump to hang while Anatoly got his shot. Sounds dangerous. Oh, it is dangerous, my boy, but the event has a positive side effect as well. You see, when you hang slowly by the neck, the spine lengthens. When we're through, you'll be an inch taller. And, if anything should go wrong, like say you pass out, need not fret. I'll be there. I will rescue and revive you. Anatoly kept fresh young pioneer scout uniforms and shiny black shoes of all sizes on hand. Just for the once, sometimes twice a year field trip, he'd planned for one unlucky scout. Close to 50 victims he'd have leading up to the summer of 85. An active period spanning two decades. It was a well-traveled trail. They helped carry the ropes and film gear even, and in the beginning everything went as he said it would, except the part where he molested the unconscious boy as he lay in spasm from near asphyxiation, the part where he posed them in raunchy positions and took film and photos before finally allowing himself to ejaculate on their shiny black shoes. But nobody complained because nobody really knew what had happened to them. Nobody felt duped or taken advantage of. Sure, there would be a mark around their throat and their underwear might be on backwards afterwards. Sure, Anatoly would threaten them once they awoke, say they'd be in trouble. He'd be in trouble if anyone knew his experiment went so south. 
but the surviving boys weren't too bothered. Of course they'd stay quiet. He told us the risk, Mr. Slivko. You warned us. Don't worry. And I do feel a little taller. My bum sore. Must have sat on a branch or something while unconscious there. But yeah, I think that worked. Neck feels longer. The first, the homeless boy history would manage to do worse than leaving nameless by giving him multiple names, had failed to reawaken. Anatoly claimed he'd tried to revive the poor child, but he was too far gone. He left him hanging too long. By the end, there would be seven boys lost in this way. The bug-eyed scout leader would behave as though this bothered him when later interrogated. It bothered him that he couldn't revive them all. But hey, if you want to make an omelet, you gotta hang some Boy Scouts. The videos show something much more sinister than a man experimenting with the limits of filmmaking. The videos show very young-looking teenage boys being led up to a makeshift gallows wearing fresh-pressed scout uniforms, where they, in full trust of Anatoly Slivko, allow a noose to be tightened about their neck before being picked up, in some cases, and slowly lowered to the taut point of the rope. Some of them seem to realize they're in trouble immediately. One who rudely had the stump kicked out from beneath his feet by Anatoly swings himself over to a tree, finds purchase with his foot and pushes off, swings again, then desperately reaches out, choking, and for a moment manages to achieve slack in the rope by clinging to the tree. He begins to climb, as if he might be able to get away, but then Anatoly comes rumbling back into the frame, looking like Nightmare Quentin Tarantino, upset the boy is blowing his scene, and this, this bit of film where the boy keeps trying to get his feet on something, his hands desperately clamped onto the tree, then back to the rough rope around his neck, as Slivko battles him back into hanging position, this, this is somehow not the worst of it. The worst is when they go unconscious and Slivko enters stage right to bring them down and then lay them on a tarp or a blanket, convulsing, faces dark with blood buildup, seemingly embarrassed by their being duped or by what Slivko was about to do to them. But in reality, all jokes aside, I know this is a hilarious situation, in reality, they're just dying, fighting to get back from the brink. Actually, wait, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. The worst... The worst is when he lowers a boy to hang and the boy tries not to fight as his breath shuts off. Like he doesn't want to spoil the scene, spoil the plans of his elder, Anatoly Slivko. Like he's trying to be a big boy. That's what it looks like. Like he's trying to be a big boy. He's trying to be brave as he's choking to death. That's the worst. Seeing that does something to your heart. I felt something clamped down in there in some place I'd never felt before, watching a clearly scared little kid trying to be brave for what is about to be his likely brutal death. It takes time to die this way, and once it's tight, you can't even call it for help. Disturbing. More disturbing even than the dismemberment scenes. Slivko plunked into the dirt naked with a skinny leg in his fist like the giant who caught Jack burning flesh to recreate the sights and smells from the accident. Slivko takes trophies, cutting the shiny black shoes off the feet of one of the seven total known victims. Some of the shoes he lights on fire using some kind of accelerant. He films this part carefully. Maybe it's what he saw in that street corner. Maybe the boy's shoes have been on fire. It's hard to watch. Hard to watch a dying boy's foot get sawed in half for a trophy by a shirtless, sexually aroused Soviet scout leader. 
It's hard to believe, too, that it took so long to catch him. It's not like they didn't have any leads. More than once, Slivko was said to have been the last to see a boy, but he was a scout leader, so hanging out with boys was kind of his thing. So, you know, the kid probably ran away, Slivko would say, like, I don't know, the boy had issues. Good enough. When Anatoly was seen taking a boy into the woods and a member of the community became suspicious, police ignored this too. Again, he's a scout leader, but also he's a filmmaker. Did you know Anatoly does film? Incredible film about our history, our shared history. The parts where the Germans came in here and started hanging kids. He does, he does those, those parts. He's good at it. To be fair, more often than not, a boy seen going into the woods with Slivko would come home. But when he didn't, he'd end up dismembered and buried. All of it on film. Film that after the last boy in 85 was discovered on opened up a floodgate of horrors most Soviets, well, I can't say they'd never seen this kind of thing before, but still, most Soviets raised their unruly eyebrows a little at what was the reality of this whole tremendously sick, almost to the point of being silly, situation. It was no secret that Anatoly Slivko was hanging boys in the woods for 20 years. He was a director, a filmmaker, and this was part of his art. But the movies he made showed murder. And besides all of the heinous activity already explored, he'd been doing more than hangman scenes. He'd been using bags over the head, BTK style, and complicated rope systems to strangle boys while they lay spread-eagled. This guy, Anatoly Slivko, had been doing everything any community in today's societies would think a Boy Scout leader with ropes and a camcorder would be doing with a demure 13-year-old in the woods today. All right, everybody, Zipix toothpicks. This is something that I use all the time. So this episode is brought to you by Zipix nicotine toothpicks. Zipix brings you a totally satisfying, convenient, and great-tasting way to curb your nicotine cravings. Now you can get your nicotine fix anytime, anywhere without having to rely on smoking or vaping. Zipix toothpicks give you an easier, better, and more discreet way to get your fix. They're available in six great long-lasting flavors, and they have options in 2 milligrams and 3 milligrams of nicotine. Zipix are perfect for flights, sporting events, restaurants, podcasting, <laughs> uh, literally anywhere that you smoke or vape where that's banned. They're also one of the most cost-effective nicotine products on the market. Zipix also offers caffeine and B12 infused toothpicks if you're not a nicotine user or if you're trying to get away from your nicotine habit. Zipix have already helped tens of thousands of customers, including myself, to get their nicotine fix without needing to inhale smoke or vape oils. Make your lungs happy and try Zipix nicotine infused toothpicks. So ditch the cigarettes, ditch the vape, and get some nicotine infused toothpicks at zipixtoothpicks.com today. Get 10% off your first order by using the code DARKTOPIC at checkout. Your lungs will be glad you did. Must be 21 years of age or older to order. Warning, nicotine is an addictive chemical. Zip more, smoke less with Zipix nicotine toothpicks. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. I know my son's not going out in the woods with a bug-eyed Soviet weirdo that started a club for kids this weekend by himself. I'm not not going to allow that to happen this weekend with my son. Are you? <laughs> and I know my attitude has been a little crude throughout this episode, but it is truly a coping mechanism for what this is. I want to at least give you the victim names and ages. The Lord knows they may not be correct. The Soviet filing system for crime seems to have been run by a chimpanzee, a bear named Boris, or, most likely of all, a man named Boris. Okay. <laughs> Besides the first homeless boy who was given a couple of names and whose body was never recovered, the film that was taken actually was destroyed by Anatoly, something he stopped bothering with as the years passed and his victims piled up beyond this first victim. But after the homeless boy, there was. On November 14, 1973, Alexander Nezmianov, 15 years old. He was a member of Churgid, this being the name of Anatoly Slivko's Young Pioneers Troop. Anatoly keeps the tape of this one, seeing how the first murder never caused the slightest suspicion in his way. May 11, 1975. 11-year-old Andrei Pogosan, another member of Churgid, Anatoly's club, disappears. His mother tells police that the last thing Andrei had spoken to her about was making a video in the woods with his troop leader. Authorities take a peek at this, but quickly dismiss it, as I said, as Anatoly Slivko is a known filmmaker in the area and, and has been taking kids into the woods to film them for years. The 11-year-old is, of course, torn to pieces and hidden in holes. He's hanged. He's molested. He is, uh, apparently... There is an attempt, apparently, to bring him back to life that fails. But he lives on in the video collection of Anatoly Slivko. And I believe on the link I have in the show notes, you will see this kid swing. 1980. Sergei Fatsiev, a 13-year-old member of Churgid Troop, goes missing. It had been five years since Anatoly had last been unable to revive a strangled scout. 
Slivko is not a patient killer. He's not biding his time. The molestations of the unconscious, kicking boys that come back are satisfying enough. But when one does die, it's basically a happy accident. And he goes all out, makes the most of it. Like any good scout should. 1982. Someday, some month, 15-year-old Slava Kovistik goes missing. A little old for Anatoly, and possibly one of the boys who gave Anatoly trouble in the tapes. Anatoly Slivko later admits that he preferred smaller boys not just as a sexual preference, but because they were easier to manhandle. And finally, in the summer of 1985, 13-year-old Sergei Pavlov, yet another member of Anatoly's kill cl- I mean kids club, I mean clubbing kids to death and then stealing their shoes club, sawing their shoes off with their feet in them still club. 13-year-old Sergei goes missing while hanging in the woods with Mr. S. And in November, prosecutor Tamara Lang gets a lot of credit on this. It's, you know, it blows me away. But she looks into it and says, hey, wait a minute. This is like the seventh kid from this Boy Scout troop that's gone missing after spending increasing amounts of time with that indie filmmaker, indie Boy Scout troop leader who's known for making violent movies in the woods. Maybe we should ask around about Anatoly Slivko. So they do. And when they ask the scouts about their leader for the first time in 20 years after seven kids have gone missing and (laughs) generations of kids have been molested by this guy, authorities learn that it's a running joke that if you go alone in the woods with Mr. S, you're coming back out with a case of amnesia along with a chafed neck and a seriously scuffed genitalia, not to mention your... That's enough jokes. They also learn that there's a secret room in the clubhouse barracks that nobody is allowed in except Mr. Slivko. On the door is a scrawl that reads, quote, do not enter, will kill, which is a little suspicious. Anatoly is seriously confronted for the first time about the seven missing boys from his troop, past, present. And the dozens who later admit to being victimized by Slivko over the past decade or so, that's brought up to him as well. And to their surprise, the extremely weird and clearly unhinged filmmaker confesses on the spot. All they had to do was ask. He confesses to being an accidental serial killer. And after the door to the secret room is opened, the one that says he'll kill you if you open it, his ropes, knives, photos, and film are uncovered. Uh, in what turns out to be one of the blackest black rooms in the history of the USSR, maybe. Uh, And he's forced to admit he's a necrophiliac at that point as well. Oh, and that he's sexually attracted to men, which is super embarrassing for this Russian guy. Uh, Young boys, actually. He has to admit that he's a pedophile, a heapophile, or whatever they call it. It's said that at the news of his arrest, his wife's eyebrows do not move in the slightest upon hearing this bit of news. Anatoly's arrested without incident, and leads investigators to the remains of six dismembered boys. He is unable to help recover the homeless boy, his first. But nobody cared about the kid in the first place, so Anatoly was like told, don't worry about it, man. We don't even know what his name is. He's sentenced to death in what looks to be a local flea market and spends three years in Nova Cherkask prison. In 1989, investigators seek his help in capturing the Rostov butcher, Andrea Chikatilo, who is still on the loose at this time. There are a few reports that claim Slivko was instrumental in helping catch the Red Ripper, but that's total bullshit. Slivko was useless in the investigation, so useless that when they were done interviewing him, they took Anatoly downstairs at the bottom of the prison and shot him in the back of the head. 
And that was that. And that will do it. Oh boy, don't watch the videos. They're in the show notes. Just a YouTube link about halfway through the video, you'll find it. And I'm telling you that because I know you're going to watch it. Or maybe you already have. I watched them a few times. Kept having to go back to confirm details. And then another detail I thought I had right would suddenly be wrong. Like for instance, the kid who swings and tries to kick off the tree to save himself. I swore Anatoly came running back into the frame shirtless when I first saw it. And that the tree was spreading from the side of a crumbling embankment. But it's like everything was so fucking weird about this case. In my mind, in the research, just everywhere I looked, it, it was all falling apart the whole time. And that might have uh, lended to my attitude when I was uh, narrating this. But please don't take that for laziness or a lack of interest. I've been working on this thing for like two weeks. It was a, it was a complete nightmare. There was there was so much information that was just they were just grabbing it from other serial killers. That's why I ended up naming this. Just another Soviet serial killer, or whatever the fuck I named it. Now I'm really acting like I don't give a shit. I do give a shit. As I researched the case, like I said, it just kept changing on me. The first three days got chewed up by people using Chikatilo, Andrea Chikatilo's background information for Slivko. I've covered Chikatilo twice now, so I was able to catch it, but not before writing a much larger piece and how similar many Soviet cases seem to be. I think the reason the numbers get run up so high when it comes to Soviet serials is pretty obvious. It's not just Soviet killers either. It's Brazil, Africa, anywhere where life is cheap in that time or place. I can't imagine life ever being that cheap, but I certainly understand that it could get that way. If the lights went out and the dogs and cats became dinner, I spent a lot of time struggling with my simple little demons and it's pathetic. I I can't stop smoking. I can't stop thinking about beer. I have an appetite for one of the most expensive drugs in the world. Oh, oh no. (laughs) Oh no, you can't stop doing cocaine and drinking as much beer and smoking as many cigarettes as you want while you don't have to go to work and do like a real job because you fucking lucked out so hard doing this podcast thing. Oh no. Oh, Jack. What I need to think about, what we all need to think about is there, there have been times in history where the one thing you're trying to not think about isn't not smoking or drinking or whatever your vices are, whatever eating. It's about not wanting to eat the little girl next door because you're so starving, you know? The thought you're trying to keep out of your mind is, oh, man, if I just hit her with a club when she's over here picking dandelions, we could have a feast, you know? Try hiding your family under the floorboards as a pillaging army approaches then be forced to execute them as a mercy to spare them a life of sexual slavery. Maybe I should try try that. That might be more difficult than trying to quit smoking. It's too easy. Life becomes cheap in lean times, it's true, but there's something about fat times that seems to do the same, and these are the rambling thoughts of a guy who thought he could get away with not really writing a problem. I have a book to recommend. I'm really trying here to get off my phone, get into the books again, even just a chapter a day. It's clearly good for you. And I want to share the good feeling. The book is called The Book of Mormon. The operator sent me a (laughs) copy. No, it's called Maneater of Kumeon. Maneater of K-U-M-A-O-N. Maneater of Kumeon by Jim Corbett. 
It's an exciting read about a man, the author himself, Jim Corbett, I believe, who was a professional tiger assassin helping out villages in India back in like the 40s, I think, trying to get rid of man-eating tigers. It was a real problem. It's wild. It's, it's true, too, and it does exactly what I need a book to do, and that's take me to another place in time, another way of living. This is what I've been doing lately. Not drinking, not smoking, um, trying to exercise. And I know I'm a broken record on this stuff, but I have real I have, I have real issues. This is what people with real issues are like, right? Like they go round and round and round. They're like a fucking broken record. They're, they're broken. I'm busted. But, you know, I'm on the upswing. I'm trying again. And what I'm noticing is when I hold, when I don't allow myself stuff, I don't allow myself to drink, smoke, um... It's funny what changes uh, to become like a treat for you. Like right now when I'm done recording this, normally I would just sit out here and drink like another eight beers, smoke a pack of cigarettes and edit the thing, right? While listening to, I don't know, Eminem or watch reaction videos on hip hop for some reason. I got hooked on, I get hooked on that when I'm drinking. It's all very self-serving, I think, in, in some way. But what I'm looking forward to right now is I got this oolong tea and you put a little bit of milk in it and I'm looking forward to just sitting down and reading more of that book before I go to bed and the tea will kind of calm me down because I'm I, I think I'm like manic and it'll 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 calm me down and then I'll go to bed and I'm looking forward to that it's funny that it's funny what becomes the stuff you look forward to when you take everything all your vices away from yourself and if you can have the discipline for a little while, you, and, you know, I don't. I haven't had it. I know. But right now, it's kind of fun to make myself suffer for a while. I feel like I'm, when I'm sober, I feel like I'm on something because I'm not usually sober. So, anyways, just sharing out loud here. Looking forward to that oolong tea, a little bit of milk in it. I'm going to read uh, this book about a guy killing tigers. And that's that. I'll be right back. Big summer ahead. Thank you for all the support. Big love to you, yours. What a world. I hope it helps some of you feel more optimistic too when you're, when you're done listening to these. These can be pretty depressing most of the time. So anyways, eyes cocked, doors locked, stay paranoid. Good night. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 